today we are joined by the lovely Pamela Laird. Hi Pamela, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. Absolutely no problem at all. I'm delighted. Um, I think I've said to you before, I've followed your story and your business story for quite some time and so we're so happy to get you onto the Be Bell podcast. I know, I'm excited and I think, um, you know, it's been a, it's a funny year and I think it's just nice to sort of talk about business and what everybody's doing and how, I think it's, I always really interested in how people got to where they are. So yeah, I think it's such a great podcast. And the big, the big thing about Bebel is it's, you know, it's always about the women behind the brands, I suppose. And because uh, we've all got a story to tell. So with that in mind, I'd love to know where yours all started. I guess mine, well, I suppose I should go back to school because I didn't really love school. Don't get me wrong, loved the social part of it, but um, well, you academics. Can go right back. Where were you born? Oh, go all the way back. Okay, okay I'll go all, all the way, way back. back. Um, I was born in Dublin. Um, I'm my mum's only child. My dad has other kids, but I sort of grew up as an only child, really, because I was the only one in the house. Um, my sibling, my half siblings were a bit, good bit older than me, so more like aunties. Um, so yeah, t- typical only child. My mom had two jobs when I was a baby, so I don't really remember a whole lot, but she worked in the bank uh, 5 a.m. until kind of late morning, early lunchtime, and then she had a beauty salon. Um, so she would go to the beauty salon. I think she did that for a good few years, because I remember I was in school in town at the time. I went to a, like a Montessori school where you could go in really early. So she would drop me in about half seven sometimes when my dad didn't have the shift of dropping me in. And we'd go for breakfast and I remember loving that. But then my mum stopped working in the bank and worked full time in a salon. Um, and the salon's still there today. It's in Dublin in Terranier. It's called the Beauty Parlour. Um, and so what am I, 31 this year? So for more than 31 years, she's, she's been in beauty. Um, so I, it definitely started with her, my interest in the industry for sure. Yeah. And so... Like absolutely, that, that's a real vocation. Thirty-one years, you know, and uh, I think once you're in beauty, you kind of like. I was in it for nine, ten years, and I miss it dreadfully. Um, but so you had that passion from a young age. So when you were at school, what what was your thing? I suppose what floated your boat? I think I used to bend the rules a bit. Like I would come in with like pink hair extensions, and they'd say like no. And I'd be like, what? And then like, I'd have to take them out. And then I'd come in with like sort of a tinted moisturizer and they were like, no makeup. I'm like, it's SPF, like it's the sun. You know, I'd always just try and push. I remember my mom, I was always right. So my mom would always back me. There was not a teacher that we'd ever come across that was right when, when it's been me up against them. So I always felt like I could push the boat a little bit. I just felt like the rules were unnecessary. That's always been my thing. And when I was in school, I think I really drifted towards teachers rather than subjects. So my Irish teacher wanted me to do well. I hated Irish, but I loved her. Like, I didn't want to disappoint her. She wasn't scary. It was more like a a nice kind of friendship. So they were the type of subjects that I ended up liking because of the people. And that's, I think that's probably a lot of, a lot of people who aren't academic. That's probably how they work. But even in business, like when we'd learned business and I'd be like this, I can't apply this. I couldn't apply anything I was learning to what I wanted, which was just to work. So I, I'd had a job working in my mum's salon, like cleaning when I was young. And then as soon as I turned 16, I had a, a job, like a part-time job, even though I didn't really need one. I wanted one. That was kind of the difference. And where, what was your first job at 16? 
my first job was Brian Thomas. I was supposed to just work on the floor, but they called me last minute and said, we need someone to work in Fendi and the designer handbags. And I was like, okay, I can do that. Um, and then I fell in love with handbags, which is not, not something I'm proud of, but something that started at a young age. <laughs> and I loved it. Like I would work Thursday evenings, Saturdays and Sundays all the time. Myself and another friend, she worked in shoes and we'd go in together and we just loved it. I just loved having my own money, my own purpose. And yeah, it was fun. And I think that's a real, a bit of a failing now, actually. And hopefully it will go back to that because I do a lot of, myself a lot of teaching with transition students and, and I'm always shocked that they don't have jobs crazy I mean when I was in school only only two of us had jobs at that age and um, and even through college like a lot of my friends didn't they didn't have to work you know and their parents wanted them to focus on their studies which is fine but I oh, you just don't you don't get that learning anywhere else working and working for other people the bureaucracy the politics all of that kind of stuff you just you learn you just have to work to learn it yeah you have to learn to to communicate with people and you can't learn that in the classroom unfortunately and so from school like did you enjoy school were you like I know you said you tended to go for the teachers that made you you know want to work for them but did you enjoy academics not any part of it um yeah like it was sad even I did art for my leaving service and even art I found the tightness of what was right and wrong or sorry a good grade and a bad grade like it just to me it's so subjective like how could something be wrong if it's art you know what I mean and so I feel like even that just disappointed me um as a subject because I thought it might be at all? no I um had I have asthma still but like it wasn't that bad as a teenager but my mum wrote a note so that I didn't have to be <laughs> I didn't want to do anything sporty like in one of my schools I went to it was like hockey was like mandatory and I was like oh I've asked my can't you know can't do anything outdoor I hated being outdoors hated it and so the the people that you tended to hang around with at school what were they into do you were you into similar things you liked the beauty side or was you know did you have a good mix of friends I suppose I definitely had a good mix of friends you know like some of my friends were like me you know push the rules a little bit and uh like I think having a mix is good but you know you'd all be in there going oh we're all gonna fail this it's gonna be awful and then you've got friend taking five extra pages and you're all like what she like well, I thought we were all failing this together so no I had like really academic friends who went on to do master's degrees and they're they're perfect in that lane and then I friends who piggyback through jobs work for charities did hard call you know sales and they'd be probably more like me in, in our working style but yeah, a massive mix, which is which is nice, I think. It's always good to have And difference. did you go on to college? No, I didn't. Actually, it's still a regret of mine um, when talking about business that I didn't. Uh, I know at the time I wouldn't have appreciated why I was doing it. But like if I could just rewind and do a degree to be able to like work in a big corporate and just absorb everything that they do. Because, you know, to get into those, you have to have a degree. I don't even think it matters what degree. But that's their... That's their box tick and so yeah big regret of mine now hindsight yes no it's difficult Look, I went to college I didn't last and um, because I was like yourself I, I got that taste of that I was in fashion as well and selling and I I just loved it and I loved being with people all day so at 16 you're in Brown Thomas did you end up working for them full-time 
Um, I didn't. So I was 16. I stayed for two years and I was still in school then. So yes. um, I left, I think, just before my leaving cert so I could do the leaving cert and then I had the summer off. Um, but of course it wasn't off. When your mum owns a business, you're here. Like you're, now, you're, you're never really off. Yeah. Um, so I, w- I ended up in the beauty salon for that summer. And then um, I opened my own nail bar in 2008 um, in House of Fraser in Dundrum. So that was like my my first proper full time. Obviously, I would go full time hours in the summer for that kind of stuff. But this was my uh, after school first real job. Yes. And so you opened your own nail bar. So you're how old? I was 18. And so how did you go about that? Who did you ring? How did you know how to contact them? So at the time I had started doing a lot of nails um, in my mum's beauty salon for kind of, I suppose the last year before I left school, I would be here at weekends when I wasn't working in Brent Thomas and then in the summer outside my hours. And I loved it. I just loved everything about nails. And right around that time, or maybe a year before my mum ended up dabbling in distribution. So she had a beauty salon, but she came across a nail brand that she loved. And no one was distributing it here. So she thought, well, look, I have a lot of salon contacts. I've been in the industry a long time. Why don't I distribute it? So we ended up becoming like a distributor slash salon. Um, and I ended up taking on the education role um, for the nail range. So it kind of came at a time where we were approached as the brand. So they wanted like a branded nail bar. And my mom was like, look, I'm not interested in my own salon. My daughter's really good at nails. So it was sort of like handed over to me, if you like, to... Yes. To, to run and, and, and do. That's brilliant though, and a great start. Um, great. And so from there, what happened and where did you go? So this was my dream, like big nail bar, like staff, it was fun. We had a great time. We got a lot of kind of celebrities in. And then by chance, um, uh, the PR of Chanel in Ireland came in to have her nails done. And we just got on, we just got on extremely well. She was visiting the counter there. And I had kind of said, look, I started doing photo shoots. So I did Irish Tatler cover a few weeks before that, sort of getting a a real name in nails. And she's like, oh, well, why don't I send you our shades and you can use Chanel on your next shoot? And I was like, oh my God. And within about three or four months of that, and sort of being the only nail technician really doing photo shoots in Ireland, nobody else was doing it because it wasn't a full-time job. So unless you had a job like mine where I could leave when I wanted, you you weren't really able to do it. so yeah, then I became one of Chanel's nail ambassadors in Ireland. So I started doing really high profile photo shoots, a few celebrities, and then I pulled back from the, the nail bar a bit and then realized, oh, you can't really do that. Staff are wonderful, but they're also not wonderful. And yeah, I dropped the ball a bit. And then I sort of realized this type of business is really gonna require my full attention. You can't build it and leave it. Yeah. And I really saw that in my mum's salon too. And I, I realized then about a year and a half in that I didn't want to do this. Like I wanted to scale it, but I realized I couldn't scale it unless I was everywhere. And I know to an extent you can be a good manager, but I w- probably wasn't a good manager. And yeah, I realized I don't want to be in service anymore. Now it took me about a year to realize that. But once I realized that, I sort of lost all love for it overnight. It is really hard. I think having staff is really, really difficult because it's such a massive responsibility and people will always do what's best for them, but never expect you to do the same. Um, And it's just very difficult. But also, I mean, 2008, 2009, you're in the middle of one of like the horrendous recession and beauty was 
awful at that time. Not for us, actually. And um, we grew, we got double the space. We were doing so well. And we added other services. We added facials, spray tans, lashes. We sort of diversified, but it just made it harder. Uh, and I think I thought by making it more exciting, by adding things, I'd, I'd love it. And I just knew I can't manage people. Like, I can't scale this up and be sane, basically, was, yes. was what I realized. Um, so it was one of those things, it was hard, but... But I think this is always really important. So how do you then close that down? That was not as hard as I thought because we, I think seeing my mum have her own beauty salon, this is her own space. She pays for this. This is hers. Being within House of Fraser, whoa, like I worked in retail, but the bureaucracy above the level I'd worked at was even harder than I imagined. It was middle management. It was, you know, people liked control and we were our own entity in there, which was kind of unheard of. And so again, me just pushing against authority all the time, uh, there was a bit of a clash there. So we ended up kind of parting ways, not on good terms, but it made it a little easier because you just thought like, I'm getting out of here. Like I need to go. Like we just literally packed it up in one day and left. My mum took the staff back here. So that was fine. Um, but yeah, we'd no hesitation in leaving by the time we left. Okay. And what's the, that's what lessons did you take from that time? I suppose. I learned that if you wanted to build a business, you, you weren't really going to do it as a concession. So obviously I already knew I wasn't going to be in service again. But at the same time, I thought, well, I'm never going to be reliant. So if I did have my own brand, I don't want anything to do with that type of, you know, I want it to be on the shelf and there. I don't want to have to, to deal with all of that, the things that go with retail management, basically. So totally learned that um, straight away. And also I was able to give advice to other people because naturally people contacted me to say, hi, House Fraser, we're looking for us to fill the spot. And I was like, well, sit down, I'll tell you everything. <laughs> um, I'm sure you know, because we were talking about a previous business you've had. And so when you're within something else, you, you don't have free reign really as much as you'd want to. No, I think once actually, once you have staff, you don't have free reign because you'll always work for them. Very true, very true. <laughs> absolutely and so that takes uh, have you hit 20 yet <laughs> so I just hit 20 and well sorry I should say as I was leaving House of Fraser I took on another job because that's what we do isn't it entrepreneurs we just load on the work I was asked to go out and manage a nail bar in Dublin airport that was opening and um, I was asked to go out and like hire the staff kind of get it ready for function basically um so i was delighted with that i would work 5 a.m to 1 p.m and then i would go into house fraser and um, because that's just again what you do but i sort of had a six month phase out in between so then i was six months in the airport full-time working for somebody else uh, another lesson um great experience fun like i loved working in the airport the hours were great like for me it was just exciting but oh my God, I cannot work for somebody else anymore. Like that was just it. No. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well, if you know, you know. I just knew, I thought, and while I was there really got me thinking about what I wanted long-term. And I think seeing how hard nail bars were for me. And I thought, I think you always think, oh, it's just me. And then you go to someone else's business and you think, oh, it's them. It's, it's actually this 
business model is extremely hard. And so seeing that fail for them after I left as well, like it, it just, it made me even realize more like I'm away from this, um, this style of business for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so where that, did that direction then take you? So it brought me right back to my mum's salon again. Um, and it was, it was good at the time because I was able to do all the photo shoots because they were still so ad hoc and sporadic and not consistent enough to do full time. But I started to take on other roles like Sally Hansen employed me as their nail ambassador too. So I was able to do Chanel and Sally Hansen. Um, and that was like a full year retainer contract. So that really allowed me to focus on my dream of having my own business. And I just sort of sat down and thought, well, we've been a distributor. And the reason that we did the nail bar was because of that brand. But the reason we're no longer the distributor of that brand is because that brand went into Marks and Spencers. Um, and, you know, it's like when you have a spa and yeah. you have this luxury product and then all of a sudden it's in a... Well, Marks and Spencers is great now, but at the time if you were there with beauty, it was quite low. It was very, very new for Marks and Spencers as well. Yeah. It didn't really work for them at the time. And I think it just really irritated all of our high-end salons and spas. So then we were like, well, look, overnight that business is gone for us. And, and I said, you know what? Never again will we promote somebody else's brand. So kind of made me go, okay, maybe I should do my own brand. Like, what would I do? And, and so our first product that we started working, well, I, I say we, it's just me. Um, but I started working on was Eyecatcher. So it was a liquid-filled cotton bud. Yeah. It took me like a year and a half just in the background working on it. You know, logos, product concepts, packaging, all of that kind of stuff. That was while I was working with Sally Hansen. So it was perfect because it just gave me that flexibility to, to focus. And what, so when did that launch? That launched in 2017. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So between that time that you left, um, like you had, you know, you had that time. And I suppose, so did you work for your mum as well? Did you have that backup? Yeah, so I think I started working properly for my mom um, when I was 22. So what age would that have been? Or sorry, what year would that have been? Uh, 2002. 2012, Jeez, yeah. Yes. 2012. Um, so 2012, I was here and doing the freelance nail bits. And then I had clients here as well. And yes, yeah, so it was kind of like the, the sort of best of both. I had client facing and then I also had that other nice side. And then Sally Hansen came. So within those four or five years, I was starting on my brand but it didn't nothing got on shelf until 2017 yeah and you know people be really interested in the thought process so you think i want to be a distributor what shall i distribute how how do you go how does that brain work for an entrepreneur you know do you start researching what you think is the next up and coming thing who do you know who to contact how does that process work for you in your head I think the process for me was really selfish because I wasn't really thinking about trends as much as I was thinking about what do I like? Here's my mum's salon. What's here? What do I have as, a, as an insider in skincare? And what does a consumer have? And why aren't they kind of linked? Or, you know, what's cool and different that when I see when I'm on photo shoots and why isn't that everywhere? It was kind of more of a, how can I bridge the ideas that I have products that exist already make it better and make it everywhere. Cause I knew straight away, I didn't want a luxury brand. I wanted something, a non considered purchase. I want, that's exactly what I wanted. And I wanted something quick. So all of those things I knew I wanted. So I thought I started looking at basic things. So I catch for example, I was watching makeup artists. They all make mistakes. And I thought, well, God, here they are. They made a mistake. Everybody's looking at them. Me included. I'm on the 
upset with them. They're dipping a cotton bud or they're pouring and it's messy and it's just didn't make any sense. I was like, that has, there has to be an easier way. And actually, I had originally seen these on a beauty counter when I was in House of Fraser, but the liquid filled cotton bud was filled with um, alcohol for sterile cleaning of products. So I thought that's so clever. How, why, isn't, why doesn't that exist? So it was really bridging all my ideas together and coming up with something cool. And then also we individually wrapped the cotton buds because of me watching a makeup artist and seeing how they work and they needed to be hygienic. And people also need that. They put them in their handbag and cotton buds always end up at the bottom covered in lint. So yeah. I felt like, how can I solve all the problems, the packaging problem, the product problem and make it something cool and different. So that's how all the ideas really came together. No, it's brilliant. Very, very clever. And, and so you launch in 2017. The business is doing well and you decide to apply for The Apprentice, I presume. <laughs> so I did Dragon's Den in 2017. Oh, did you? So, yeah, so we launched into Penny's Irish stores and we were doing extremely well. I, I had launched this brand at the time where Instagram was very organic and if you liked something, you took a yes. photo of it and it ended up on your feed. Like, well, there were no stories then. It was like, this is cool. I'll take a photo. Actually, I'll do a video. You know, people would share anything and influences that I knew, models from the industry, makeup artists, I just sent it to everybody and everybody shared it. And so social media then was just so pure and real. People just shared things and people saw things and bought them and that's how it worked. So I was very lucky with the timing. We launched into Primark, we launched into group pharmacies and then I went on Dragon's Den. We were trading six months at the time and I got an offer of investment, but more importantly, I got massive TV exposure. So yes. that was really great. Um, I didn't end up taking the Dragons post-show, mainly just a difference in ideas. Uh, they were really kind of interested in the fun side, like the packaging and stuff. And I felt like I kind of had that. And I was looking for more of a business acumen type person to scale. And yeah. I think they felt it was more of a passion project, which is totally fine. But I felt that's not really what I wanted. And um, that wasn't the gap I needed filling. So I ended up partnering with a distributor at the time who would just help me advance fund the stock. So that was sort of a deal I did off the back of the show. It worked for a time, um, but I can come to that later. We partnered for about a year on that deal okay. and it did fall apart, but I can get to that. Partnerships are really difficult. Um, Very. And, you know, I always say to people, I, I, I business coach. So when people get into a partnership, I, ask them now after being in partnerships myself that have failed i ask them now to write a letter to each other of why they're going into partnership with each other very because, clever because what happens in a partnership is you end up learning both of your your strengths and then somebody thinks they don't need the other one yeah and it's sad and um it never ends well <laughs> It doesn't. I mean, look, it's one of those things. I think the, the most important lesson that I've learned is that you don't always just need money. Yeah. Um, I think that that's uh, like early stage business. You're like, okay, all that's stopping me succeeding is cash. Like that's it. And, and you'll, you'll take it from anywhere at that stage because you could just see it as a brick wall and you know, it's preventing you from scaling. And so you just take it. But actually, it's, it's down the line what comes with that cash and did you really need it that badly to take the wrong deal? And that's kind of probably what I learned the most. It was just the wrong deal. Right for some people, but wrong for me. 
And I think you'd already learned you didn't want to work for somebody. And when you're in a partnership, you are working for somebody. Definitely. Yeah, you learn. It's, it's all that kind of stuff, isn't it? Like you yeah. just, the only way to do it sometimes is to make the mistake. Absolutely. And it's, it's and I always say to people, it's not personal. You know, just no. you have to park it and move on and both learn from it. Um, exactly. And so from there, then what was the next move? So the next move, we were growing, like massively growing. Um, we'd demand to launch into the UK with Primark. We were launching into Boots. Um, so that whole year of 2017 was just a great year. It was, what are we doing next? New products, excitement. And um, yeah, I can't, I can't say that too much went wrong that year, except maybe the preparations. The one thing I suppose, looking back, when things are good is when you should spend money on the right things. At the time, I just thought it's, it's great. It's there. We're like, we're doing really well. Um, and then in January of 2018, I could never have foreseen this. Um, a photographer, an underwater photographer took a photo of a seahorse gripping a cotton bud um, and it went viral. Um, within two weeks, the EU had banned single use plastics and cotton buds. Um, globe like across the EU um, Scotland I think had already brought it in almost immediately after the photo was taken so my genius innovative like we won five awards for innovation like this product that everybody needed became like the devil wrapped in plastic because it's plastic in plastic in plastic and I mean we'd always looked at biodegradable as like the next stage but when you're a small manufacturer or sorry when you're a small company dealing with big manufacturers unless the global people are doing it you won't be able to afford to because nobody's going to change their equipment for you yes. so it's that kind of pressure where you kind of have to just keep going so when i looked at it i thought we're never going to be able to a afford to change that over now and also the eu had banned biodegradable plastic it had to be like a different material right. so basically overnight my business fell on the floor um it was consumer perception. It wasn't even the legislation. Like the legislation gave us a year. People were like, the, we were getting trolled on social media. Like I had just launched into Boots. We just spent like thousands on all these influences in the UK, YouTube videos, Cosmo UK. And the comments were just full of uh, plastic haters. Totally understandable. And I, you know, we've moved yeah. on. Again, but I could not have foreseen that. Like my product basically just could not sell. That like just like that gone so, gone totally gone um yeah shocking so how do you pick personally now how do you pick yourself up from that i found it really hard i'm not gonna lie i felt like i like personally failed and it was just around that time within kind of two months of that that my partnership broke down with my distributor um i think it was an easy time for him to walk away because it was clearly failing I had already decided that it wasn't working anyway, but it, it did feel like everything was failing at the one time. I had the other product ideas, but I sort of spent 2017 enjoying the high and resting on my laurels a bit, in hindsight. I, like they should have been ready to go. So they weren't ready to go. It took me about three months to get new product out, but I knew that I didn't want to get it out with the old distributor. I didn't want him involved. So I wanted to start fresh. Um, so I went back to the bank who had helped me in the beginning back to my bank manager and he gave me a stocking loan to sort of help me. Um, and I put it all into stock, into two products, two new products that I had been working really hard on and it took months to get them in. But once they got in, I really felt like we've pivoted. So my, the next product I launched after that was Barefaced. Yeah. Um, 
So this was a product I've been working on for ages and originally it was a face wipe and then I changed and I've been, I was back and forth on this. And um, eventually we came up with the concept of uh, dry infusing cleanser within cotton wool fibers. So it makes it biodegradable, it makes it better for your skin, no preservatives, you know, uh, hypoallergenic, clinically tested, all of that kind of stuff that I knew was really important to my customer, vegan, cruelty free, every buzzword that you could say we had in this product. And so we launched it and, and look, it, it just felt like we were finally getting, getting somewhere, not, not as profitable as we were because of the volume we did. And um, so it was, it was hard to sort of rebrand because now here we are with an eco-friendly product and still on shelf in certain places, our old devil product, you know, and that was yeah. sort of difficult to come back. Uh, I think it's still something we're working on. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, I never probably haven't got fully back to the confidence level I had originally, but it's good because I'm more cautious now. Yeah. And so you're back on the shelves, you've picked yourself back up, which is always very difficult to do. How did The Apprentice come about? The Apprentice came about because I think I'd spent that year just getting back. I felt like I wasn't ready for an investor because I was so down, like our, you know, our chart looked really crap, basically. I thought, well, like, let's just get a good year of this. I can't sustain this on my own, though, if I want to scale. I, I knew that from launching into Boots. I knew I needed help. Um, and it was literally, my friend texted me, I have never watched The Apprentice, ever. Because every time my mum would watch it, I'd click on and it would be the scavenger hunt episode. And I'm like, this is stupid. What's this to do with business? You know, I hated the stress level. So she texted me, like, Pam, please apply you'd be perfect and she was watching the season in 2000 at the end of 2018 and I was like oh no I don't think so and she said no I'm telling you and I said well look send me the application when it's open I didn't even think about it and she texts me and goes here it is so at the time I was working with a pure company and I was in, with, in a meeting and I was like by the way actually my friend sent me this what do you think and I passed it over and she said oh the apprentice she goes pan the deadline's tomorrow and I was like what oh like whoa and she's like come on we'll do it now together so like da, 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 you know very basic form in my mind I was like god that was a bit easy uh got my audition and I was like oh my god like I've got an audition this was January 2019 and flew over thinking oh my appointment's like 12 15 that's fine went in thousands of people thousands and thousands of people I was like oh my god uh craziest audition process I, I had no idea what I was getting I had no notion what it was going to be I actually did the process in two, in 2000 um, wow. and the same thing my boss had filled it out for me so I remember turning up to thousand well probably not as many people then it was when he still used to give people jobs oh yeah just were lined up and constantly in and out of rooms in line yeah. constant yeah and like, I didn't realize at the time, but they had put down because I was Irish, my flight. So I was the people I was with, I was then in different groups. They were obviously kind of fast tracking me through just because otherwise people had been there like for four hours already that were sitting down. And I was like, oh God. So I like, I wouldn't have made my flight home. Yeah. So I think it was like the first thing was sell yourself in 15 seconds. And you were standing on a number and they call the number and you 15 seconds. To, I don't even remember what I said. And then some people would go up in the lift. Some people go down. If you were going down, you were not accepted. And there was five rounds that day of different uh, floors in the building. Um, and so then you leave, you've no idea how you've done. And you're sitting waiting for an email, got another audition. This was more like group um, auditions and like write a political agenda. If you were a politician, all these really 
things you can't like prepare like you don't know if this is what if this is it's not right or wrong it's what they're looking for so you're no no clue and then a third audition another day I went over and then I got a phone call and actually at the time I didn't know if I wanted it or not because I got the terms so the terms were you'd be 10 weeks out of your business no emails no phone that's like literally because I thought ah, oh, they'll let me check my emails and reply to customers no nothing nothing at all so I thought god like this could like what if I'm what if I come across terribly and like then I've been gone from my business it was it was a really tough decision but when the guy called me the producer called me and he said hi and he made it seem like I didn't get it and I was looking at my mom and I was like I didn't get it and I felt so disappointed and then he's like oh we want to offer you places then I that was just perfect because then I was like okay that's it I'm going I, I knew I wanted it um and it literally came out of that I had I had like two weeks to binge watch as many episodes as I could find on YouTube because we can't get the BBC player here. And so I was like, oh my God, what am I? I think I watched the interview episode and I was like, what is this? What is this? Oh my God, I can't believe I'm going over to this. This is crazy. I, like, I'm going to cry. Like, I knew I'd cry at that. So, and I, even if I even got to that stage. So it was a complete blind going into something. Totally. And I, I presume that you, those would be your friends forever when you do an experience like that with a small group of people, it's, it's, it's amazing how close you become so quickly, isn't it? Very. And I think you definitely, there, there were clicks like anything, you know, it felt like school mostly because obviously some people didn't get on. So there's some people on, I never want to see ever again. And then there are people like, I wish I lived in London to be close to them because yeah, we, you've this sort of bond that you just will never have with anybody else. Yeah, no. And, um, and so what did the, doing that, was it a plus, a minus? How did you feel about the whole experience when you came out? Do you know what? It was hard to come out and not be able to tell anyone. Um, so we came out in June and from June until October, there was radio silence. So I had been gone for 10 weeks and luckily we were papped by the Daily Mail on week two of filming, I think. So my friends had all seen it. So I didn't have to lie because <laughs> they were like, that's Pam. <laughs> like what? Um, so that's fine. But for everybody else, like, oh, it was, it was a really tough time. I actually felt quite low when I came out because two reasons. I had just exhibited at Bologna, Cosmoprof in Bologna, which is like the biggest cosmetics trade show. This was our first time exhibiting. I met some amazing customers and then I disappeared for 10 weeks. Uh, I've no staff, so nobody was picking that up, and I lost all those contacts. So coming out and seeing your my distributor, the sales were on the floor. There was nothing like it was it was it was hard, and to to be in a filming process where you can make a toy, pitch it to John Lewis, and have everything done in two days, which is totally unrealistic. But you get into this feeling of productivity with a big team, and everything is just great. You, you know, and so you come out and then you're alone again as an entrepreneur and, and you've, you're trying to sort of see, well, what value is this? I've been gone for 10 weeks and I have nothing to show. Yeah. So that was a really hard time. And I missed my network of people. I'd, you know, I felt like I'd like achieved something, but then nobody could see it. <laughs> so yeah, no, to flash forward to when, you know, it was hard, but once it aired, it was so worth it. I'm so glad I did it. Once in a lifetime opportunity. And it was just the right time for me. Yeah, no, no. And I, I, I personally thought you just did such a great job. You came across beautifully. Um, 
you did Ireland proud, she oh. says with a big English accent. <laughs> <laughs> I am Welsh, I am Welsh. But um, so where does that bring us to? So you've done The Apprentice, you've bought out another product since then. Yes, so we have three products. Um, I launched the product a week before I started filming. Um, so it was out there, but it hadn't really been promoted. So that was the powder cleanser. Um, so yeah, we went from two um, to then by the end of last year, three. Um, I found that I was taking on the criticism or the feedback from the interview process. And it was two products, like you're not really a brand. I was like, okay, by the time that episode airs, I will have a third product. It wasn't quite on shelf. Um, but it was the dry shampoo sheets. We had it online. Yeah. And so I think that day that the final five episode aired where I got fired, I was on my website watching because it's all pre-recorded and there were 75,000 people live on the website. Like That's this completely sold out, like completely sold out. Um, so yeah, I was thrilled with my timing. I felt like, okay, I can see the value in this TV show. I can see how, how it affects sales. And I may not have got the investor, but now I have all these people offering me investment. Like some not legit, but some actually legitimate. Yes. And did you take any of those? They were all just in the start of talks. So I'd just been to London to meet one I'd been chatting with. Um, and I met another. So they were all just on the cusp of me sharing sort of my, my, my deck and, and my investment plans, what I would do with the money, all that kind of stuff. So um, unfortunately... Not that it's null and void, that level of information, but it all has to be completely reworked to be yeah. realistic with what's going on. And when you do, and you put that work together for an investor, do you look for help in that? Do you, do you have a mentor that you use? or? I can tell you I found this extremely difficult. This side of the business is really what takes me back to regretting not having a degree. Not just for the degree, but for the lingo, the the conversations that are being had when you're talking about investments from VCs or wherever it might be, even just the, the abbreviation VC, like to not know what any of that means. And then all of a sudden to be in this space, it's very difficult, different from being, people were saying, Oh, you've been imposter syndrome. Why'd you go on the apprentice? Well, the apprentice is just like, here I am invest in me. It's not any of that language, but now I'm back in this, this uncomfortable area of really where I just feel like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I know the innovation, I know all that side, but the rest, honestly, clueless. So I've been really lucky to get some help. I went to a networking event um, in the RDS. I think someone, I think I got a mentor before from local enterprise office. He was nice. He sent me a link, said, do you want to go to this? I can invite people. I was like, yeah, I'll go. I went, chatted to this man. He said, you should meet this woman. This woman, you know, and all of a sudden you're, you're talking with someone for five minutes, you exchange cards. I met up with her. Roseanne is her name. She is, um, I don't know where her business is now, but she's in the process of launching a startup. And she had just raised like 5 million and just closed that round and sat with me, looked at my deck from The Apprentice, which was a completely different, I think it was like 90 pages or something. And she's like, okay, this must be 10 pages. So I learned so much from just sitting with her and, and she gave me her time. Um, so all I can say about networking is it's so important. You go to 10 events, you meet nobody. It only takes one for you to meet the right person. Um, so learning all of that investment stuff, I'm still learning. Like, I don't think I've, I don't think I'll ever be, well, I probably won't ever be so um, comfortable in that space, but I'm happy I've been able to get this far. And you know, obviously with the ups and downs of business, 
your personal life like what what do you do to take time out and not think i suppose i mean obviously this is a good time to do it but what do you normally do what's your your outbreak it's hard like holidays would have been my outbreak i guess i i like to go to a different time zone um because i feel that when people are asleep you can actually relax if that makes sense if you can go somewhere whether everybody's asleep in your work environment, then you know you can relax. Um, otherwise, I don't really relax. Um, I'm always on my phone dealing with China because they're on the other time zone. So trying to, you're kind of never really off, although I am a terrible procrastinator. So I will leave things until the, the 11th hour. Um, so I find sometimes, I know it's bad, but aimlessly scrolling on like, shopping channels like sometimes I watch QVC so that my mind just like switches off and I'm like oh do I need that pots and pans <laughs> um, I just find that kind of clears my mind exercise is good but it takes time and I'm kind of yeah it's I think it depends like I would have said before this that going out with my friends would have been great but now you just sort of adapt don't you to the current climate and try and find oh. your new norm Absolutely. And, and the new norm, I, I mean, I think, you know, it is a weird time, but I do think if it wasn't for all the bad stuff, I'm quite enjoying it. Yeah. Because yeah. I think if I, if my business was still functioning to its fullest, I would actually enjoy this. Yes. No, no. And, it, and it's difficult, but I suppose I've, I've kind of learned in this time that I don't think it's as important as it was to me a few months ago or even 12 months ago yeah. um, I think my outlook is a little bit different now and um, what's probably the best advice that you've ever received that you've taken on board I think my mum's advice was always the best because I find that when young entrepreneurs or people want to start their own business they're like what how did you start and I remember going okay I have this idea mum but oh my God, like I'm not gonna be able to afford it because my mom like wouldn't have had money to give me to start a business. Like yeah. that just wouldn't have been an option. And she said, just keep going. And so I feel like the saying, feel the fear and do it anyway, has, has always been something I've done because she's always said, don't worry about me, keep going. Because I think the money thing would have stopped me in my tracks from ever proceeding. Because I'd have been like, what's the point? I'm not gonna be able to afford to buy 60,000 units, which was our minimum order quantity um, at the time. And she's like, don't. so then by the time I got to the bank manager to look for the money, I'd already had a prototype. I'd, I'd done all of the things that I may not have done if I had let that worry me. Yes. And of course he believed in it because all the work I had put in. And so, I, you know, everything works out if you don't let yourself stop because of the fear. And so I still do that. I'm like, oh, are we going to sell 100,000 units? Sure, who knows? Let's order. So, you know, just do it because if you believe in it enough to, to push to the next stage, then other people will believe in it and buy it. And so then it's just, you know, that's kind of how I feel. So feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. Fear is huge. It's just massive. So your predecessors, Pamela, leave little uh, questions in this bowl. And I obviously have to pick them out at this time. So I've started one up. Okay. Interesting. When was the last time you cried? Oh, like very recently, I, I was quite sick and I had to move out of my home. I live with my mom. And so I found that really difficult um, being quarantined for a month. So I wasn't allowed to leave. I had to move into my boyfriend's apartment, which isn't the worst thing. But to not be like my mom and I are so close. And obviously I did 10 weeks without her. But I have to say, I found that really emotional to not have my own 
things I took for granted, like just my own space. Um, so I cried then. Business crying, I cried every, probably every every day after task on The Apprentice. I literally just had to cry. Get it out, get it out. Okay, what sets your soul on fire? Sales. <laughs> like getting a new account, like that just, I mean, the products excite me, but I feel like that's just part of the process. But the real nugget is on shelf purchase orders like that's just to me like I've achieved something um because I've made loads of products that I've never turned into anything so that I suppose has, has worn off but it's actually uh, a buyer buying it just love that okay and finally what is your biggest personal um winner it says so what's your biggest achievement personally not business oh, that's hard I think my friendships maybe. Um, I have a big group of friends and I know I'm only 30, but I suppose a lot of people at 30 maybe could count their friends on one hand. Like it takes more than two hands, you know, and we've all just stayed in such close touch that, yeah, I'm just grateful for that nice big group of people around me. Friends are so important. Totally. And finally, do you have um, a saying that you use? So my favorite is two years, one mouth. <laughs> oh, I like that. Um, I think that's a really good point. And I, I don't actually have a thing. I suppose feel the fear and do it anyway would have always been my thing. But I think um, just act quick. Um, it's never been more important almost. I know without compromising on quality, but I procrastinate and I take my time and it's all about the detail. And when I launched my third product last year, I didn't do any of what I normally do and I launched it and, and I'm so delighted I just cut all that out all that questioning so be quick I think and now more than ever get your product out there get it to market and just do it as fast as you can brilliant Pamela thank you so so much for sharing your story you're amazing I uh, can't wait to see what's coming next um, and we shall speak soon